You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hi, this is Joe Zane. And this is John Good. And welcome to episode number two of Michigan Mobility Scene, where we discuss the ins and outs of the future transportation industry in Michigan and what's what's going going on. And this episode in particular, we're going to just kind of discuss the state of the industry um, in mobility in general with a focus obviously here in Michigan and try to understand some of the larger players out there. So, uh, John, let's start uh, from the top. So there, well, I guess let's start by framing the different players in a certain way. So there's a lot of people in this field, uh, and I think you can't talk about Michigan and mobility without starting with the Detroit Big Three. So, of course, of course, that's where you start. Yeah, and uh, then I think just as a little bit of foreshadowing. Uh, well, we also want to make sure we cover acquisitions, maybe with a focus on the big three, but any other major ones going on in the the uh, field. And then talking about startups that are out there uh, either waiting to be acquired or trying to become the next big company. So uh, with that in mind, uh, wh- what are your thoughts? Where do you think um, – how do you feel like mobility where, – where mobility is right now in uh, – What's the state of the industry? Sure. Um, yeah, so this is a, a another kind of broad, overarching, thematic episode. And I and we wanted to discuss this today because um, as, as we start our discussion on the industry in Michigan, we wanted to lay out really where it exists right now and where it came from. So uh, if you're starting to talk about mobility – I think we need to understand that the automotive industry um, has traditionally not been called the mobility industry. And that, and it's important to talk about what we mean when we say the mobility industry and not just traditional automotive. And I think Joe and I agree that mobility absolutely includes the traditional auto industry, meaning the, the big three OEMs, the tier one, tier two, and tier three suppliers, but it also includes a wider network of firms uh, that do software, that do services, uh, firms anywhere from Waymo, uh, Google, uh, Uber, the the transportation network companies, the the startups on um, on autonomous vehicle technology. So it is an expanded ecosystem, but I think uh, it's it's important to lay out the layers that they exist now and and who is combining with. With who mm-hmm. to to, I guess generate um, forward momentum and a and a better competitive positioning. So, where do you want to start? And and I ask that. I guess um, I I'm, I think it, it probably helps to look at some of how the big three is positioning themselves, what yeah. kind of acquisitions they've made, and how they're talking about themselves. Yeah. Right. So. Um, I think it's appropriate to do uh, start with Ford to a certain extent. They've made a lot of interesting acquisitions over Absolutely. the past uh, couple of years, and they have been positioning themselves as a mobility company, uh, especially under CEO Jim Hackett. Now, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, where do you think that the so and some of the companies that they've acquired so far include Autonomic. Argo AI, uh, Chariot, which un- for better or for worse has has basically folded under Ford, but mm-hmm. uh, is a a major component of their acquisition strategy, and Spin, the the scooter company. Uh, and where do you uh, where do you think that um, what's your impression of Ford as as a company and and where they're going? Because I, I talk to a lot of people at Ford, and there's there's kind of a well, there's a strong tension between people who consider the main business line their pure focus and those who are trying to pivot to the future. Yeah, no, I, I think that that conversation is is ongoing. Um, and you'll see that 
And anyone in the area knows that Ford has has been making these moves. I think uh, the exciting announcement uh, of the Michigan Central Station renovation uh, and the relocation of their autonomous and mobility strategy groups to to Detroit. Um, it's symbolic of a larger transition at Ford into these mobility services. And if you could kind of contrast Ford and what's going on there with with GM and with FCA, I would say there's a spectrum, um, at least in the public positioning. Mm-hmm. Ford probably has leaned in the most to this new mobility technology ecosystem, um, just in terms of establishing a new uh subsidiary called Ford Smart Mobility, taking the new CEO from that subsidiary. Uh, GM, of course, has been uh, has been involved heavily with autonomous technology, with crews, and with uh, shared tech, shared uh, uh, car sharing uh, in Maven. Um, and then FCA, I think everyone acknowledges, is, is doing less of that. They're more focusing on and building strategic partnerships with Companies like Waymo, uh, where right. they they have provided uh, Pacificas to Waymo's pilot, <laughs> and uh, as well as going in on a, a partnership with uh, BMW, Intel, and Mobileye for a shared autonomous vehicle testing and development uh, environment. That's right. That's right. Now, um, I, I think so. Ford has talked a lot about it. I think. Especially with Jim Hackett taking the reins, he tries really hard to frame the Ford as a mobility company. One question I have, and I'm curious what you think about this, does talking about it make it a is that a sign of strength in the mobility space? Or do you feel – to a certain extent, I, I look at what GM's doing and I, I think they've been working internally to advance a lot of the advanced mobility technologies, especially especially like electric. They've done a lot with building fully electric vehicles yeah, in terms I, of mass producing them. They, they've – uh, taken a lot of strides in that direction. I think I think we probably all agree that GM is one of the leading automakers in electrification. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, and that goes all the way back to the, the EV1 in the 90s and the fact that they released the Bolt, or sorry, the Volt um, in 2009, I believe, uh, or 2010. Well, in their acquisition of Cruise, which we haven't necessarily mentioned, in a lot, way, a lot of ways is more of a blockbuster acquisition. I believe the number that that Cruise was acquired for kind of dwarfs what a, a lot of the uh, Ford acquisitions are. Do, do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I mean, so the the Cruise acquisition was approximately it was just under one billion dollars. Um, but uh, in retrospect, that was an incredibly uh, savvy uh, move by them because I think. In the latest uh, investment round with Honda, uh, the valuation of Cruise is near twenty billion dollars. So, so good. Uh, it was definitely a good strategic move. But let's let's kind of uh, get back to to Ford. Okay. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, when you're thinking about Ford, and when you're, when you're thinking about all of the auto companies, uh, you have to think about their current market positioning. You know their their existing portfolio of vehicles, mm-hmm. um, how competitive it is in the marketplace, what you know, how profitable they are on existing business lines, because that has a direct tie into how much they can invest into the future. Mm-hmm. And I think Ford has clearly laid out where they see that future going, and I think they. And I disagree with a lot of the the Wall Street analysts that have. Have said Ford is, you know, hasn't really given a strategy. Has has been um, fuzzy on that. I I actually think they have made that clear um, strategically where they're headed. I think some of their tactics in terms of exactly which acquisition uh, makes sense and how they'll integrate it into their business model. I think is still um, oh, is still work in progress. I think mm-hmm. you can see that more clearly uh, for certain parts of FSM and certain parts of their acquisitions. You can see. Argo.ai as being uh, 
an essential component of their autonomy strategy. Mm-hmm. But other ones you mentioned, uh, chariot. chariot. You know, ch- chariot. I could talk. I mean, this is this is my background in in public transit. I could talk <laughs> for a long time on why that's a difficult business. So I actually would be interested in in your take on that because I, I feel like you would have some insight. But let's let's finish the thought. Uh, in terms of the execution, so I kind of get what you're saying in terms of having a complete vision and strategy. But my impression is that just from the reaction to internal employees that I may have talked to, um, as well as just the the press, is that Jim Hackett is a visionary leader but may not be as an effective and operational leader where a lot of people internal to the company are having a hard time try understanding how he expects to execute the vision. And that might be the source of the Wall Street's uh, reluctance to embrace him as uh, as the, the, the leader that, that he needs to be to be an effective uh, – to bring forward into the next – yeah, you know, ten, twenty years, whatever it might be. Absolutely, I think uh, you know that that's word on the street, and I think that's you know that has an element of truth. I, uh, everyone should read the uh, the Detroit Free Press article from a few weeks back. We'll put it in the the show notes. Um, that there, and and it detailed those those qualms that people are having, uh, and that you know Jim Hackett is is great in many ways. Um, but in terms of the actual operational day to day, I think I think there were some decisions that uh, that, that kind of certainly the communication was a bit off. Uh, I'm thinking of the reducing the or eliminating most car models. Mm-hmm. I think that was that was a challenging. I mean, it's the decision that all of the Detroit three car companies are making. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of what the strategic positioning was, uh, which is we have to reduce capital expenditure in this area to increase it in shared autonomous electric vehicles. I, I'm not sure that was as clear. At least in the, at least in the press, I don't think it was well, you know, articulated. That makes sense. What do you think? Um, I mean. I, I I can buy that. The internally, I have already understood that eliminating car models was kind of the way to go to be able to focus on high margin businesses. Absolutely. As a employee of FCA at the time when they eliminated the Chrysler 200, I was a little bit disappointed. Because I liked the car, but at the same time, I understood that everybody loves the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the Wrangler, the Pacifica to the to a certain extent. Although they just eliminated, uh, they're talking about eliminating a shift at at the Windsor Assembly plant. Windsor plant. Yeah, but that is the Windsor plant produces the Pacifica. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so when Ford followed suit, to me. It, it almost didn't register as as a big deal because it seemed to be the consensus, um, which speaks to Sergio Marchionne as as a visionary leader in in his own right. Yeah, but yeah, and I think I think everyone agrees that Sergio was really transformational. I mean, it, it's it's amazing to say that FCA is probably in the strongest financial position out of out of all three of them uh, right now. Which is uh, you know, ten years ago, if you had said that. You know, you would have been left out the room. Exactly. Yeah. And and in the case of Ford, you know, Alan Mulally was so widely loved at the company. Um, and he crafted really a, a plan to save the company through the through the Great Recession. And I think Ford as it existed, you know, in twenty twelve with the launch of a bunch of new Global vehicle models. I think, uh, you know, the 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 change from what it was then to what it is now in terms of the core automotive business, um, I think is 
has been a just a that's what people are comparing against. I think. It's a high standard, right? Yeah, exactly. I'd like to step back and, and circle back on something we were talking sure. about a minute ago. I think Chariot is an interesting case. Given that they acquired it, presumably there was, they saw a lot of value in it, mm-hmm. but that they then abandoned the service. What are your take? What is your take on that? Given that you do have a background in in public transportation, yeah. and that you have a good sense of uh, the challenges there, it seemed like a very interesting business. But obviously, the conclusion was that it wasn't sustainable. And I, I am wondering whether the acquisition beyond the immediate financial gain of the founders after having been acquired. Uh, was a positive one for Chariot or was it – do you think they could have succeeded better as an independent entity rather than being folded under Ford at a time when it's really worried about its bottom line? So that's a really interesting hypothetical. Um, and it, talk, it, talk more and broadly a, about Chariot because – Yeah, no, it's an important question. And, and what I would say I guess is that Chariot was a nu- one of a number of startups in that field. Um, about the same time, in about 2013, 2014. So could you explain what Chariot does? Yeah, let's – okay. So for, for those – Or did, rather. For, for those that don't know, Chariot um, operates and I guess operated a, a shuttle service essentially um, using Ford uh, transit vehicles. So I believe 15, 16 passenger vans. Uh, they operated like minibuses. Uh, Chariot was founded in San Francisco in 2014. Uh, I believe it was, it was 2014. Um, and its business model was providing a higher quality express bus service um, for, for routes that were not very well served by the existing uh, Muni uh, bus service mm-hmm. uh, in, in the city of San Francisco. Um, and because Muni service is, is relatively slow, um, it's just – there are problems with, with San Francisco's uh, buses because of traffic and, and a lot of other uh, things. Um, there were a few startups that tried to enter that space. So Chariot was one. Uh, Loop was another. Uh, there was a company called actually a company called Bridge, but that was in Boston. Um, so so they were all looking at doing kind of higher end bus service for commuters that could afford you know maybe. $5 a ride instead of – and they were trying to find that white space between public buses, between, you know, $1 and $2 uh, and and an Uber that's like 10 to 15 Wasn't the innovation in trying to change routes based on demand or something along those lines? So Chariot did – when they started up routes, how they chose which routes they would serve was based on on consumer input. Mm-hmm. Uh, or crowdsourcing, essentially, uh, they would they would ask people to request, you know, where the where's their origin destination, and uh, if they if they get enough uh, demand on those routes, then they would start a route from from one area to another um, along a, along a fixed route, and then uh, and then basically the people that requested that route would be notified that okay, we're going to start your route, uh, and but you would have to hit a threshold. There, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a, like a daily on-demand service. It wasn't like, for example, an Uber Pool, which is a shared um, on-demand taxi service. Uh, but it was it was a fixed route service. You could see the routes on the website. They it would have names, uh, and, and it was based then solely on people going to the website and requesting the route, and then or in the app, yeah, yeah, and ra- rather than some underlying sense of the traffic patterns or analysis of the data of daily commuter behavior. I think they did a little bit of that at the start um, Mm -hmm. to to start their first few routes. Um, But it's important to note, so when when Chariot was purchased, the other companies uh, that were started in that area, Bridge, Loop, um, and and the rest of them uh, all shut down because they were not profitable and they couldn't figure out how to make the business model work. Um, when Chariot was was acquired by Ford, they launched you know expansion efforts. Uh, they went to New York. They went to 
you know, Austin. They went to Chicago, um, other places. Um, and and so there's this big expansion. And I think they also started branching out into enterprise services uh, like uh, like third-party uh, corporate shuttles uh, to and from workplaces. Um, I think uh, last year near near the the end of uh, chariots um, you know operation, they were shifting more towards that enterprise service, and I think that is a m- more sustainable business model going forward. If you look at what Via is trying to do, which is one of the most successful companies in this in this space, um, uh, they're pretty much they do have some uh, you know just demand responsive routes in New York and very dense cities. But most of the cities, they bid for a contract with a, with a government agency to, to, to provide a paratransit service. Um, anyway, this is a deep dive into one of these businesses, but I think uh, it's, it's emblematic of the challenges that the auto companies are facing when they're going into this new mobility market. Right. It's a very different business model. It has different metrics that you need to look at. Uh, it has different margins ordinarily. I mean, public transit obviously has a negative margin. Um, it's publicly subsidized. Um, so so that's something that, that historically the auto companies have not had to, had to deal with. So Now, going back to the question that yeah. I asked, do you feel that when Chariot was acquired by Ford, it – increased its chances of success because you had the support of a company with some amount of money to help keep it going or decreased its chance of success because you attached this young and uh, entrepreneurial company to a structure that uh, was feeling the demands of a publicly traded company? That's a, a hard question to answer. Um, I, think, I think it really could be either because – you do, you do acknowledge the benefit that um, uh, venture-backed startups have that they don't have to be profitable right away, and Chariot, you know, had that had that advantage, and they had a kind of a nimbleness to respond to the market quickly. Um, for based on my discussions with with them, and um, I, I think they did have you know quite a bit of autonomy. Um, there was. You know, there was more oversight, of course, um, after the acquisition, but but it's hard to say if they would have done better outside the Ford umbrella because their competitors had had so many challenges. Mm-hmm. So I think I think this is just a hard market to be in. Um, and if you look at Ford's other acquisitions in the space, you have uh, Transloc. Uh, Transloc does similar on-demand um, shuttles. Uh, their historic business was in uh, bus location monitoring, uh, so providing a, a platform so people would know where their, their shuttle or buses. Um, so some of those other business models under FSM, I think, are, you know, are, are interesting to, to see how they evolve. And they're more sustainable in, as part of a coherent vision, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that is the vision that, that um, certainly Bill Ford has has described. And I think when you put all of these acquisitions together, I think you do because there's some really, really smart people over at FSM. Um, and I know they're, they're trying on uh, making this a coherent uh, suite of products uh, for customers. And I think that that kind of integration is the, is the value proposition because, and actually if you look at all of the other companies too, um, Uber, Lyft, they're trying to add the services that are under their under their app. So everyone wants to be integrated. Everyone wants to be the platform that you're using. And I think the the challenge right now is it's unclear where to invest to be that provider. Like, do you invest in the platform? Do you invest in um, so like the consumer platform? Do you invest in the autonomy technology or or something else and this is this is a central question in the minds of, of corporate uh, strategy departments in in Detroit so it might be worthwhile in the 
spirit of the episode, just to quickly run down the acquisitions of Ford. We'll start with Ford and describe briefly what those companies actually do. And I'll start with Autonomic. Yeah. Uh, my understanding, the primary focus of Autonomic is this creation of a transportation mobility cloud. Uh, Jim Hackett's talked about it a lot in many forums. And the main goal of this transportation mobility cloud is to provide a platform for different companies to be able to tie in and communicate with other companies so that you have a coherent system built up of individual parts that can still talk to each other without having to have the central coordination of an authority. So it's almost a standards creation uh, play. And with with that in mind, uh, I, I guess the best an- analogy is something like the internet where you have this platform where people can do whatever they want with it within the constraints of what it's capable of. And ideally, that'll spur innovation that goes beyond what Autonomic itself is doing and into uh, the countless startups that could tie on to that through uh, I want to say APIs is a little bit technical, but uh, you know different yeah, software APIs. platforms that you can put in and, and integrate into an overall system. Uh, the next one, Argo, is from my sense of it a pure autonomous vehicle play. Uh, they're trying to make autonomous vehicles in much the same way that Waymo is or Cruise is, but they're doing it in Pittsburgh and they're now owned by Ford. Or uh, just a point of clarification, they're not owned by Ford. Ford is the largest investor. They're the largest majority investor of Argo. So they don't have a controlling stake in it? They're just coordinating? I think they ultimately do have a controlling stake. They do not have full um, ownership of the company, though. Okay. So they didn't. They don't have 100% equity, but they might have 51% equity or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't want to give the number because I'm not entirely sure. But yeah. That's something this, along. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so Argo, Argo's definitely one to, to point out. Um, yeah. And then you, you mentioned Transloc already. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there anywhere missing that that are? Oh, uh, Spin, which is a scooter company. Yeah. So Spin was one of the, you know, you, you have the kind of duopoly in scooters. You have you have uh, Bird and and Lime, uh, which are by far the largest. Um, uh, Uber. Um, and Lyft are also starting their scooter businesses, um, and and Spin is one of the smaller ones. So I think, yeah, that was a that was a play to get into that market. Well, and I I think their way of trying to distinguish themselves is to claim, probably rightly, that they're going to work more nicely with municipalities to make sure it's not introduced in a haphazard manner. But I, I think that is fundamentally, it's the same as Bird and Lime in terms of what their business is. It's a competitor. And is that? Are there any others that we're missing? Um, I mean, there there's some smaller acquisitions that were that were made. Um, there, uh, yeah, I think I think those are some of the key ones, though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So let's let's move on to GM. So GM, the big one is Cruise mm-hmm. and. Again, from what I could tell, it's a pure play toward autonomous driving technology. Do you have a, another sense of that? Nope. Uh, it cruises. Uh, they they made a good pick. Um, Cruise was small enough when they when they found them that that they could afford full acquisition um, uh, because a lot of the values of of the independent autonomy companies right now. If you look at Zooks or if you look at um, Aurora, uh, I don't think they could afford it right now. So, so good, good job, GM. Um, no, uh, one of the founders of Cruise was involved in a previous startup. Do you remember? Uh, I should have this in front of me. Yeah, I think. I mean, it, well, Cruise, Cruise has a good um, pedigree. Yeah, pedigree. Um, not as not as kind of gold 
um, like golden as as Aurora. Uh, Aurora has some of the leading minds from from the initial days at Waymo. Um, so, is, is there, to clarify, uh, Aurora is in the a similar space, mm-hmm. but drawn from a lot of the original Google self driving car engineers. That's right. Yeah, and um, and some of the Carnegie Mellon people as well. Okay. So, there Aurora is also um, California and Pittsburgh. Okay, yeah. and then. Are there any other acquisitions on the part of GM that stand out? Well, I think I think you have to. It's interesting. Um, so today, when we're filming this episode, Lyft went public. So uh, GM's strategic investment in Lyft has paid off well. Uh, there was a when when GM invested five hundred million dollars in Lyft a few years ago. There were thoughts about GM buying the whole company. Um, ultimately, that did not happen. Um, so, so that was a, another another big acquisition. Um, you have some of the other uh, smaller uh, suppliers. Um, I know Strobe mm-hmm. is one. Um, I believe that's. But but I think uh, GM has tried. Cruise was the big big bet. And and GM, and this is a very different strategy than Ford. Uh, GM has been focused on building that kind of core technology um, in house, um, mm-hmm. and and leaning on its engineering talent uh, and its electrification lead uh, to to be a you know top quality supplier um, to to platforms. I mean, I think. Well, the the big question is what happens with. Cruise, do does GM create a new platform um, when it's ready? I mean, I think this is obviously still speculative because I would say that you know it's it'll be years before we have a you know working SAE level four vehicle. But the big question for all of these companies is: Do you partner with a platform or do you try to create one yourself? And now, to clarify, when you say platform, like an Uber or a Lyft, mm-hmm. uh, the platform is what mediates the uh, the consumer to the provider uh, experience. So, my sense of that is that GM would create want to create it internally, and the reason I say that is because of what is done with Maven, which, while we can talk about it as a separate entity. I, my understanding is that Maven started out as the catch-all for all of General Motors' plays in the autonomous vehicle. Not autonomous vehicle. That's separate. But the general mobility space. And it ended up becoming focused as Maven in its current incarnation uh, – in the past couple of years where Maven becomes a platform for people to be able to rent out their own vehicles uh, to if they have excess time. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think let's save that conversation for a later date because we have somebody who we could talk to firsthand, uh, hopefully coming on the show in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I think Maven is a, is an important, important platform for GM. Um, But, but yeah, I think we'll, we'll go into that uh, in detail. Um, in a later episode, let's think about. So the, the, we've pr- covered GM a lot. FCA hasn't ha- made any strategic acquisitions, as far as I could tell. Mostly partnerships with with major players in the space. Mobileye being one of them, mm-hmm. which was acquired by Intel a number of years ago. Mobileye being a Israeli based sensors company, primarily. Yes. And yeah, so they create the the sensors um, that that power our these autonomous uh, control companies. Yeah, and then uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, so probably a good time to start looking at maybe some of the tier one suppliers and what they're doing, yeah. and what other independent companies are out there in the space. One I, I don't want to forget to talk about because I think it's really interesting is Zooks. You, you mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. And Zooks, I thought, was cool. Well, in the sense that they, they were very shrouded in mystery for a, a long time. 
Um, and and, stealth mode, yes. Yeah, they, they were doing their thing in stealth mode. And uh, for those who don't know, just as a quick primer, Zooks is a company that's trying to reinvent what the car can be, where the big three or basically any company out there is trying to build autonomous vehicle technology into our current conception of the car and doing incremental innovations. Zooks, the whole premise of it is that once autonomous vehicles are the accepted standard, then the current conception of of cars is useless as a a baseline. So they're going to create their own thing. And I saw... uh, only in the past year have they started to re- release videos about what their vision really looks like. And it was, I think it was like an electric go-kart that kind of moved in every direction. Like the wheels were, were pivoting in different ways. Um, so th- that's Zooks in a nutshell. I don't know if you could add anything to that. Yeah. One of the last times I was in Silicon Valley, I, I went to Zooks headquarters actually um, meeting up with an old friend there. Um, and, and I think that, yeah, we, we talked a little bit uh, in a previous discussion that the vehicle designs will be different. So Zooks is creating a clean sheet design. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, think that's, I think that's the right way to characterize it. And what's fascinating to me, at least, is that Google tried the same thing, hmm. right? So remember the bubble car? I mean, I remember. Remember it's like a like a rounded. Well, shape. yeah, it was like what people thought of as the Google Car. autonomous vehicle. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're not doing that anymore, you know. Well, they're using the the, the Pacific. Yeah. I, so I, so it's interesting that they decided not to go with 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 provide you know doing a whole new car platform. Well, I'm wondering whether the bubble car was really a clean sheet design. But that's a whole other discussion and probably tangential. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Zooks is really interesting. Uh, history will tell whether they have the right vision, whether it's not the right vision, or whether it's the right vision and before it's time, which a lot of co- companies uh, end up in that position in the venture capital-funded yeah. uh, space. So That's, that's right. So uh, I'm trying to think. A couple of other really interesting acquisitions that have Detroit ties. I thought uh, Newtonomy is is one of the bigger ones that I I found really interesting. And uh, for those that don't know, Delphi, now Aptiv, acquired Newtonomy, which is an autonomous vehicle company. And, John, you could provide more insight into this, but they – in the past couple of years, put together a pilot in Singapore where they created an autonomous vehicle taxi service. And uh, that was uh, bought by Delphi. I'm not sure what the terms of the deal are offhand. Uh, What year was that? Do you remember? Uh, That was early 2017, I believe. Okay. So can you tell people what what Newtonomy is and why we should care? Um, well, yeah, Newtonomy, uh, so it's not based here, but um, they were founded by MIT uh, researchers in, in Cambridge uh, with a strong presence, as you said, in Singapore. So uh, as listeners, um, you know, I, I used to live in Singapore. Uh, I uh, you got, to, got to see them testing firsthand, uh, got to meet with some of the people there. And, and they... You know, they had a lot of really great technical expertise from from MIT, and they had a, a tangible thing to show, which was this taxi pilot. Um, and Delphi, uh, Delphi, I believe, purchased Newtonomy for about two hundred thirty million dollars, if, if approximately that. Um, and it was a large enough acquisition that Delphi restructured the whole company. Um, so Delphi. You know, of course, is one of the major tier one suppliers here in Michigan. Um, it is, uh, you know, it used to be part of GM uh, as the kind of parts department. Uh, they have a, a huge range of automotive capabilities, 
But to split out their kind of fastest growing segments, they created a new company called Aptiv. So that took their existing autonomous driving research and R&D work and combined it with Newtonomies. So Aptiv, that's what Aptiv is. Um, and a lot of the, the more traditional automotive businesses are still within Delphi. So, so I think Aptiv is a, is a good uh, Detroit connected company. Uh, Newtonomy also has a Detroit connection with, uh, with Fontenelle's uh, Partners, which is the venture capital fund uh, founded by Bill Ford. So, so they definitely have um, Detroit ties. Um, do, we should talk about some of the other tier one suppliers. Cool. Absolutely. So, uh, so that's that's a big one. I wanted to focus on um, uh, Bosch uh, and Continental. Uh, so Bosch is a is a German company, you know, huge huge supplier to the the industry. Uh, they have strong autonomous vehicle uh, capability. Um, you know, they have, a, they have a big presence here in Michigan. Uh, Continental, I know I've seen presentations from them. Traditionally, they're a tire company, but they do uh, other automotive mm-hmm. components as well. Um, Magna is a Canadian tier one. Uh, Magna is, is really interesting because they're also custom integrating um, autonomy stacks into into vehicles. So that's actually how local startup May Mobility is scaling. Uh, uh, May Mobility is an autonomous startup spun out of University of Michigan, and it's based in Ar- in Ann Arbor. It also launched uh, its autonomous shuttle service in downtown Detroit last year. And to scale up their vehicle production and to mass produce their autonomous shuttles, uh, they partnered with with Magna to to do that uh, and to expand their manufacturing capability significantly. So I think what's interesting is that the tier one suppliers are both. Uh, still suppliers, but they're also in certain cases now working as contract manufacturers. So so that's an interesting business model that we may see more of, especially as specialized uh, autonomous software providers from Silicon Valley, from Pittsburgh, and from here don't may not want to invest in manufacturing facilities of their own, but want to get their technology out there. I think we'll see um, more contracting, more licensing um, between companies going forward. Well, and that's interesting in terms of the future. I, I think that speaks to Michigan, Southeast Michigan's expertise in manufacturing and the value that that continues to bring, even as some of the higher margin businesses still are centered around Silicon Valley. And it's an interesting semantic discussion whether these companies are mobility companies i feel like a lot of them try to rebrand themselves that way mm-hmm. but then you still have a lot of the old style thinking that drives a lot of their decision processes i know what your thoughts are on that if that that might just be joe what are your thoughts <laughs> well i, I think, think you that, have some thoughts i i, I think that uh, ultimately in order for us to be competitive us being southeast michigan i'm i I am, a, right, yeah. um, I, I am an unabashed Michigan partisan, <laughs> partisan in the sense that I always advocate for the success of Michigan and, and its economy. In order for us to be more successful, we need to continue to build a more entrepreneurial culture and build businesses that do succeed in this field. I, I've been uh, today in preparation for the episode, I, I did a lot of just searching around the Internet for the companies that have been started in Michigan and, and that are venture-backed. And I, I'm a little bit surprised how f- few are kind of in this field. There's a lot of uh, – well, first off, we're, we're working from a pr- relatively small basis. Uh, May Mobility is probably the one that comes to mind as having been started in southeast Michigan that's been very successful uh, in terms of – having high-profile pilots and making a lot of progress. Other venture-backed startups in the area that have been successful tend to not necessarily be in the mobility industry. A lot of the activity is uh, from the older companies like Ford and GM and trying to build up their either their own internal uh, 
thing or, or trying to acquire. So I think over time, we do need to, to become more entrepreneurial. Yeah. And uh, it's really hard for an old company like that to adopt an entrepreneurial mindset if you're not hiring people who think that way. Yeah. No, it, it's true. And, and the companies themselves have to balance between their highest margin vehicles, which right now are, are SUVs and trucks, and you know, balance into the future, balance into loss-making businesses, um, which will hopefully transition into profit, mm-hmm. profitable business lines. I, I guess I also wanted to mention a few other startups that have Detroit ties. You have Siva Technologies, which is a an interesting uh, company that, I mean, to put it very simply, uh, is developed developing washers and and other mechanisms to keep sensors clean and dry um, during actual operation. Um, they have a lot of Michigan ties. They're actually based in Seattle. The other one uh, is Condor Detroit, um, which is a car uh, subscription service uh, that uh, merged with Mobility. Uh, which is eight, spelled with an I. Yeah, Mobility spelled with an I, uh, which is a Texas-based startup. Um, so, so they merged, uh, and, but that's another kind of mobility service, mm-hmm. uh, company that, that was founded here. I think, um, you know, there's some others that, uh, that I can't, can't think of right now, but. Well, I think one of the other main drivers of, of talent or, or entrepreneurial thinking into the Metro Detroit area comes from Techstars Detroit, which is a which is an accelerator yeah. that is based in the ci- city that is focuses on mobility and transportation startups mm-hmm. and a number of companies Yeah. So uh, if you look at their class of twenty eighteen, right, you have is that eleven companies, I believe? Mm-hmm. Um, did you want to? Did you want to highlight any of them in particular? It is great that they're all here. And the, the thing is that a lot of the ones that consider themselves now to be Detroit based were not necessarily founded in Detroit. Like uh, I think it's pronounced Split, but it was a ride sharing service that was acquired by Bosch. Uh, was part of their uh, an earlier cohort. Um, are there any that uh, I, the, there's some other very interesting ones? Uh, but I don't know. What are your thoughts? Are there any that kind of come to mind? Well, I, I think it's interesting that, um, I mean, in my experience, the Techstars uh, portfolio companies have been very um, focused on tangible use cases right now. Mm-hmm. So if you look at, you know, what can you do now with the technology as it exists? You have a company called Aerotronic, which does um, – uh, drone-based uh, autonomous ex- inspection of energy grid assets. Um, you have uh, companies that focus on uh, on kind of uh, uh, tire uh, performance, um, the really nitty-gritty uh, performance of existing uh, existing vehicles, existing products, and, and almost like leveraging some of the IO. Internet of Things, IoT concepts to uh, – but applied specifically to the automotive use case. I, I would – yeah, I would say so. Um, For many of them. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that uh, – so it's it's good to see that, that next um, class come to Detroit. And I think, you know, where the companies had – you know, is and and actually, the even the mindsets of the founders. Do you think are people looking for an acquisition by the by the OEMs, or or are they trying to build a business that lasts uh, over many years? It depends. I think it on, depends on the company. I mean, I could see something like May trying to build a a business in their own right. Although I'm yeah. sure. I've listened to so many podcasts and stories about startups and so many interviews with startup founders. The discussion about whether they should try to hold on as an independent business or be acquired, it's it's a very serious and uh, difficult one. So, and personal question. Exactly. Too. I mean, it depends on where you're at in your life, what, what, what your personal ambition is. Um, 
I think that to for the majority of people that. Uh, they're, they're, they would be very happy with an acquisition. But it depends, again, whether that culture will mesh with, with the acquirer and uh, whether they feel like the, the vision of their company will, will remain intact after being acquired. Sure. And, um, yeah, I, I think May Mobility is, is developing an independent you know, business. And, and full disclosure, I, I did some consulting work for them last year. Um, so I think that – I think there are – True business models being built um, in this in this sector, um, the but on the scale of the OEMs, I think uh, it it is hard to replicate a one hundred billion dollar business, right? If you look at revenues where they are, I mean, th- these are huge businesses, and we sometimes forget how much revenue the car companies have, but. It takes a while to build something as large as existing as the existing businesses of selling vehicles to consumers. And people know that they need to to transition into into a more service-based business model, but but this will take time. On that note, you mentioned it, how hard it is to build yourself into that market position, I think that we would be remiss if we uh, don't at least briefly mention two of the major startups that are now based in the Detroit area, which weren't necessarily founded here, Rivian and Bollinger Motors, which are building uh, electric vehicles uh, and trying to replicate the success of Tesla in their own way, having gone stealth for a while and uh, recently revealed some stuff at the – well, Rivian recently revealed their their two – Models a uh, truck and an SUV at the LA uh, Auto Show. That's right, and and of course uh, the the recent investment from Amazon was was a huge. I mean, <laughs> when when your sector gets gets influenced by Amazon, um, people know that there's a lot of a lot of change afoot. Absolutely. Well, I I think that that we could talk longer, and we should maybe do a part two, kind of outlining some major players. And have and once we listen to this, we'll have a sense of what 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 were the obvious ones we left out, and uh, we'll definitely touch base on this again. But I think this is a good start in terms of getting a sense of of what the state of the industry is and where uh, we we might be going from here. Yeah, apologies if we did not mention your your startup. Hey, if you're listening to us, please give us feedback. Yes, please <laughs> please send a review. Um, and uh, and Joe, thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you. I'm glad uh, you could make it, and I'm glad that uh, our listeners are tuning in. So, thanks a lot for tuning in, and uh, please continue to listen to Michigan Mobility Scene. We'll be here every week. Okay, take care. <laughs> take care.